Hello and welcome to episode 62 of the Viva Albertos podcast. My name is John Fleming. I'm a writer at Viva Albertos, joined as always by Heather Simon. She is a writer and editor at Viva Albertos. Hello everyone, it's Heather. <laughs> it sure is Heather and, and this is John. All right. It's been a couple weeks since we had an episode. We're in sort of a slow period for Cardinals news, though the Cardinals did make a free agent signing last weekend, so we're going to discuss that as well as some other topics and do a little bit of a question and answer segment with our loyal listeners. I don't actually know if they're loyal listeners, but they're listeners, or at least they purported to be when they asked questions. We'll uh, get that ball rolling in a minute, but as I mentioned, the big free agent signing for the Cardinals was they signed Brett Cecil, uh, formerly of the Toronto Blue Jays, to a four-year contract last Saturday. It was first reported by Jeff Passon of Yahoo Sports for uh, $30.5 million over the course of the four years. You know, with the injury to Zach Duke, who will be missing the entire 2017 season with Tommy John surgery, there was a increased need for a new lefty in the bullpen. And uh, before we get really into the nuts and bolts of that, though, Heather, I have a trivia question. Oh, good. Yeah. Great. You, you seemed ecstatic about this. Okay. So as I mentioned, Brett Cecil is the new uh, lefty in the Cardinals bullpen. Zach Duke was the trade deadline acquisition last year to fill that role. Actually, of the John Mazelik era, so since 2008, Zach Duke, strangely enough, is actually 11th in games pitched for uh, Cardinals lefties. He has uh, 28 of them. There are 10 players ahead of him. <laughs> Left-handed pitchers. By number, This is by number of games, so whether it's starts or relief appearances, doesn't matter. Just total number of appearances, doesn't matter the number of innings, just times getting into a game for the Cardinals. So Jaime Garcia... Jaime Garcia is number four on the list. He's by far number one among starters. Um, Randy Choate. Yep, Randy Choate's number two with 196. Mark Zepchinski. Zepchinski's number six with 109. Let's see here. Tyler Lyons. Tyler Lyons is number nine with 70. Okay. And that's, I believe that's it as far as starters. Since 2008, you said. Correct. Um... Sam Freeman? Yep, Sam Freeman's number seven on the list with 81. So you have five so far. You're missing number one, number three, number five, number eight, and number ten. I don't know why I can't think of number one. I don't either, but... <laughs> Rick Ank- Nope, 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 nope. That's way not right. Take that back. Well, Rick Ankiel did play for the Cardinals since 2008, but not as a pitcher. Right. So. Nope, that's not right. Take that back. I didn't say that. He is a lefty, to be fair. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of any left-handers yeah. at this point. I'm terrible at discerning lefties and righties, so I don't blame you at all for this, but number one, I, I probably would have gotten. Other than that, I have no idea. I know. It's kind of killing me that I can't think of the first one, because I feel like it should be obvious. It's not a starter, so it has to be a reliever. Yeah, it's combined zero starts for the other five players that you haven't mentioned. Uh, Kevin Segrist. Kevin Segrist is number one, <laughs> with 230 games. <laughs> I'm sure we'll end up having to cut some of the, the thinking time on here, but we'll, yeah, we'll leave some there. It wasn't there. that much. Okay. Okay. Kevin Segrist. All right. We've been here for 30 minutes, guys. Don't. No, we don't, have not. Okay. That's a lie. Don't lie to our poor listeners here. They rely on us to tell them the truth. Okay. No, I'm not stalling. <laughs> uh... Eventually, Heather is going to come up with a question for me, and it's going to just be painful for me because... <laughs> She has all this pent-up frustration. She's just going to unleash it once. <laughs> I've got a question in mind. 
I just have to actually look up the answers to it to make sure that I it's feasible and not too ridiculous. Um so mm, no. I was going to say they've had to have just pitched, but these are games pitched. So Correct. not like games and then someone that pitched left-handed. So like Daniel Scouse is not left-handed, but if he had Well, if he were, he would not even be close to the the Right, cuz he only pitched like one game. Yeah. Number 10 has 43 appearances. Okay. What about that um Mm. I feel like Trebek here. I'm just looking at the answers. I have it right in front of me, so I feel so... Smug? Yes. What about that... Uh, this is probably, probably isn't right, but that Chuck... Uh, or um, Finley? Chuck Finley, your guess? Yeah. Chuck Finley's incorrect. He would have been a bit before that. Okay. I also don't remember if he was a lefty, but again, I, <laughs> I have no... I was thinking Chucky Fick or something like that. Uh, Chucky Fick... Um, is that even a person? He, it is a person. <laughs> He's not on the list, which means he either was a righty or didn't appear in MLB. I only remember him in like one game, but his dad was like a scout or something. I'm not really yeah, sure. But the other players will give you a reprieve here. Number three was Trevor Miller. Trevor Miller. That was one I was trying to think of. Number five was Dennis Reyes. Mm, nope. Uh, number eight was Ron Valone. Nope. I remember that. Uh, number ten was current Cardinal scouting director Randy Flores. Uh, Okay, I forgot he was left-handed. Yeah, he only had one season during that time period, but he had 43 appearances, so... Trevor Miller was who I was trying to think of when I was going with Chuck Finley and all those. I was like... Yeah. I was picturing, like, the skinny, wiry lefty. I think Trevor Miller was that. Yeah, that that's a lot of lefties, but... Yeah, yeah, to be fair, but that's who I was picturing. I was you, picturing Trevor Miller. So you weren't picturing Ray King, basically. No, there was okay. no Ray King. I, I thought about Ray King, and I was like, I don't think he's left-handed. So. Oh, he was left-handed, but he was way before... Or he was too old, yeah. yeah. I remember him. Okay, so... Anyway, let's get to the actual topics at hand now that we've made you sweat out meaningless trivia for a while. Okay, okay. I appreciate that. So anyway, Brett Cecil hopefully will be joining that list if he doesn't get to... 40-some-odd appearances over the next four years. Something went terribly wrong. Yeah, as far as this deal, though, I don't have a strong opinion on it. I, I can't speak for what you think on it, but it was a position of need. It wasn't necessarily urgent need because they have Kevin Segrist, even if you forgot about him. <laughs> and I remembered him eventually. Yeah, that's true. But you know, it's not like this is like a loogie. This isn't Randy Choate where it's a guy who's only going to face lefties. It's a guy who you're going to expect to be one of the more prominent relievers in the bullpen. He doesn't have any experience, or at least not very much experience, being a closer. So you're looking at somebody who's going to be middle relief. But if you have Sungwon Oh, if you have Trevor Rosenthal hopefully coming back to something approaching what he had been in the past uh, before last season, and you have a guy like Brett Cecil, and you have Kevin Segrist, you may actually end up having a pretty decent bullpen out of this. Do you have any strong takes on the signing, or is it just kind of an ass signing for you as well? Pretty much. Just business as usual sort of signing. They had a need. They filled the need. It was about market value. I know I've read some interesting takes on how this might not age well for the Cardinals. I don't really think it's going to be that big of a deal. I don't want to jinx it, though, so I'm going to knock on wood. And you have a pitcher who's in his early 30s, so it's not like you're really hoping to capitalize on somebody who's just coming into his own and it's very possible that in a few years he's not going to be worth his annual value but hopefully they can recoup some of that on the front end and then it won't really be as big of a deal and I think some people 
I think a lot of the concern about the signing is just because it is sort of a boring deal. He's not a deal breaker. Or not a deal breaker. He's not somebody who's going to be... Not a blockbuster. Yeah, not a blockbuster. Thank you. But, you know, and, and if this is the only signing the Cardinals make in the offseason, I think fans are right to be frustrated because Cecil's not going to be the difference between the Cardinals surpassing the Cubs or not. But if you have him in addition to other things and you have things breaking the right way, maybe things will go well for the Cardinals this year. But you know, he won't be the forefront of it, but he can be a valuable part of it. Do you have any concerns about the fact that there was a no-trade clause with the deal, or is that just sort of... He doesn't seem like a player that's super highly tradable anyway. Like, if he was doing really bad and you would want to trade him, then, you know, you probably won't be able to trade him. So, I don't know. He doesn't seem like someone that really commands the attention of a lot of other teams. So, I don't feel like that's that big of a deal. Yeah. I think in most situations, a no-trade clause is... A good way to uh, make players feel comfortable, though it's not necessarily going to be a relevant factor, because the only situation where the Cardinals would want to trade Brett Cecil, it would probably be a couple years down the road. It would probably be a situation where the Cardinals weren't a contender, and they were trading trading him to a team that was a contender, in which case he would probably waive the Mm no-trade clause. This probably isn't going to be a situation like with what the Cincinnati Reds have with Joey Votto, where he has a no-trade clause and despite the fact they're not very good, he doesn't want to go. And even if it is a case like that, he's only going to be making $30.5 million, which, you know, only, but still $30.5 million for four years for a reliever who's been like a sub-3 ERA, sub-3 FIP guy throughout his career as a reliever after being a starter previously and not being very good at that. But he's been a consistent reliever. He's probably not going to turn into Andrew Miller, Kenley Jansen, an elite-level closer or anything like that. But he could be a serviceable player for the team, certainly. And as far as and that was the big roster move. As far as other roster moves the Cardinals have made, there was the designating for assignment of Brian Pena, who was brought in last offseason as a backup catcher. It's looking like Carson Kelly is going to be Yadier Molina's backup. And Kelly got some playing time last year. And I know whenever we were doing a preview of a prospective Cardinals playoff roster, we were sort of in the camp of Carson Kelly getting the spot over Brian Pena anyway. Do you feel comfortable with Carson Kelly going forward as the backup catcher, one, relative to Brian Pena, two, relative to just in general? I think it's okay. I just worry that he won't get to play, Uh, and that's the biggest issue, is that he could probably use more playing time. I like that he'll get to study under Molina and learn all the tricks of the trade and whatever but i worry that he won't get to play (laughs) so yeah as far as development is concerned eventually it's going to hit a part point where theodio molina whether it's this year next year whenever where he's going to need more days off the the amount of innings that yadio molina is playing when most catchers his age are either severely stepping down their innings or moving to other positions is just completely I wouldn't say unprecedented, but it's pretty close to unprecedented. Guys usually are not hanging around a catcher this long to this extent. But, I mean, my main concern would be if Carson Kelly is going to be a good backup catcher or if this is going to be like a situation where they had Tony Cruz for several years, didn't seem to trust him to play very much, and therefore they ran Yadier Molina into the ground. I don't think Brian Pena was going to be the answer either. I think 
you know, best case scenario, he was going to be sort of a rich man's Tony Cruz anyway. I think Carson Kelly certainly has more upside than Pena, and I don't think his downside is much lower. So, like, it's fine. If the Cardinals could magically find a really good backup catcher for not that much money in free agency, by all means, sign him. But I feel more comfortable with Carson Kelly as the backup catcher. I mean, this is probably the most comfortable I've felt with the backup catcher situation I can't really remember how I felt about Gerald Laird at the time, but at least since then, which I know we're not talking about the most exciting of names, but... <laughs> it's backup catcher, so... Yeah, generally speaking, your backup catcher is not going to be a superstar. They're not going to go out and acquire you know, Buster Posey to be his backup. Or <laughs> I mean, not that he would be the backup. Sorry, but... Yeah. <laughs> sorry to anybody holding out hopes that Yadier Molina would start over Buster Posey at this point, but... Put prop- Buster Posey at first base. That's true. You, <laughs> you can work around that. And then another move was that uh, Tim Cooney was picked up off waivers by the Cleveland Indians. So another former lefty for the Cardinals, who was not near the top 10, but he'll be um, not with the Cardinals next year. I think he sort of got lost in the shuffle compared to a lot of other pitchers with the Cardinals. You know, Tyler Lyons as far as lefties, but certainly with Alex Reyes, Luke Weaver, a lot of the other younger pitchers, even like Marco Gonzalez to an extent. It's a shame that he's going to be gone because it would be more valuable to have Tim Cooney than not, but I'm not really losing a whole lot of sleep over it. It's very possible that he could prove me wrong, but I also think that there wasn't really going to be much of a spot for Tim Cooney barring just tons of injuries, which granted has sort of happened in recent years for the Cardinals. But I'm pretty sure Tim Cooney was coming off of Tommy John surgery, right? That's why he wasn't brought up last year. He had been injured. Let me check to see what the exact circumstances of that were because I'm very bad at remembering exact details of minor league players. <laughs> but I wasn't I wasn't I was pretty bummed about it just because I thought he would be pretty good like not pretty good as in like a number one, but I thought he would be a, a valuable starter and an asset going forward once he was healthy. I didn't realize that he was even at risk of being taken off the you know, the in the rule five draft. So that it was more surprising. And then I'm like, Oh man. And, (laughs) and then after that, I was like, Oh, well, (laughs) so, so it was just sort of, it was a bummer, but it isn't the end of the world. I'll live, I guess. Yeah. And looking through Cooney's injury, he, it wasn't, he he had pitched during last season. We'd also suffered some shoulder injuries throughout the season as well. And yeah, I think this is a case where he was not going to, have any particular roles, you're not going to go completely out of your way to keep him around. You know, had they, had Tim Cooney just slipped under the radar, I'm sure the Cardinals would have been happy with it, but you're also not going to build your off-season plans around retaining a guy that you're not going to have in your rotation, you're not going to even necessarily have as like the sixth or seventh guy who's a starting option. So it's fine, I'm not going to get too worried about it. Sort of along the lines of Brett Cecil, just sort of a boring move. A boring negative move in this case, but not a move that's going to change the radar. It's not like I was going to be picking the Cardinals to win the division next year, and now I'm not because Tim <laughs> Cooney won't be around. But as far as other esteemed Cardinals young pitchers, there were some trade rumors going around. Or not really trade rumors per se, but Ken Rosenthal had reported that the Cardinals were at least going to give consideration to including Michael Waka in trades in the offseason. Walk is a pitcher who, he was the 2013 NLCS MVP, he was an all-star in 2015, and has had some injuries 
and I think there's definitely concern about whether or not he's going to be a viable, certainly a viable starter going forward, but really a viable major league pitcher going forward. I think my overall view on it would be that it depends what other teams value Michael Waka at. I think because he's had such success, there's a possibility that there are teams that really still view him as being a top-tier level prospect. But then there's also probably going to be teams that view him as just being sort of an organizational arm that you're not going to really want to give up anything for. And I definitely wouldn't want to trade Michael Walker for nothing. But if a team was really interested in him and it could get you like a Kevin Kiermeyer or somebody like that, like Dansby Swanson. Yeah. If you, <laughs> uh, when has a former Cardinals pitcher ever been traded for Dansby Swanson? I know that. <laughs> no history of that. But yeah, if you can get somebody who's a top-level player, then certainly I'm not going to say Michael Walker's off the table. It's not like I'm storming out of negotiations in the vaunted hypothetical Mike Trout trade because the Angels want Waka. Like we we can we can part with him for that, but I also he's displayed such prominence at times that I wouldn't want to just give him away. That's the thing with Waka is that it all depends on what his value is relative to what the league thinks you know, it really is. And right now I don't I could see it going either way because he's had such like success with the World Series and the playoffs, and uh, 2015 being pretty good then. So I could see them overvaluing him, but personally, the way I value him, I wouldn't give up a lot for him. So I don't see how teams would want to do that. So I don't think it makes sense to trade him right now. It seems like selling low to me, which is why I don't think that it's going to happen. But, he, I mean, if it does and we the Cardinals get some nice return for it, kind of like you said, then... That'd be fine, but it'd be a bummer because I really like Michael Walker. Yeah, I like Michael Walker too, but if the price is right, I'm not going to... I'm pretty heartless about these kinds of things, so I'm <laughs> not going to have too much of a trepidation about getting rid of him if the return is good enough. But I think it's interesting that you brought up Dansby Swanson before, who, of course, we were joking about it, but he was traded last offseason for Shelby Miller <laughs> along with some other players. And that was a case where the Atlanta Braves sold really high on Shelby Miller, He'd had sort of a down 2014 with the Cardinals, and then in 2015, he had a really good bounce-back season with the Braves. And therefore, they were able to get Dansby Swanson, a number one overall pick, Ender Inziarte, who's a really good center fielder, and then Aaron Blair, who's a top 100-level prospect. But with Michael Waka, you're not doing that. If the Cardinals had traded Michael Waka, you know, even after 2015, maybe the return would be—it certainly would be higher than it is now. As it stands right now, what are you going to get for him? I don't know that Michael Waka's trade value is ever going to be lower than it is now. And if it is lower, then you know, so be it. But you're probably not going to be losing out on that much because of it. And with Jaime Garcia being, with his option being picked up, as we talked about last episode, there just may not be any room for Waka in the rotation, so maybe looking at him in the bullpen. But if he's a good bullpen piece, I don't want to give up that either. Because with all the names I mentioned earlier as being potential arms in the bullpen next year, I'll always take more of them. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to say no to what could be a good reliever. You know, we'll see what happens there. There's still a lot of moves to be made. You know, probably not going to happen over this weekend, though. Who knows? It's possible that they're having a a Wednesday news dump as we're recording this. But <laughs> which hopefully they wouldn't want to dump that news. Hopefully they'd be wanting to promote it relentlessly. But. We solicited some questions for listeners on uh, Twitter, and here are some of the questions we got. Um, First question we got was from uh, Mac, who's the co-host of the Double Birds podcast, which we've both appeared on. 
think we were the first two guests they ever had. So yeah. I guess we'll return the favor by asking a question, which <laughs> seems like we're getting the better end of the bargain, but we'll take it anyway. <laughs> okay, so in the next decade, how many card cardinals will get bigger deals than what Holiday got adjusting for industry inflation? So referring to Matt Holiday's contract signed after the 2009 season, which was a seven-year, $120 million deal. So industry inflation, you're looking at a guy who's like, you know, 20 million plus player at this point, which Yoan Cespedes might be at that level. I don't think Dexter Fowler would be. So you're looking at like high-end sort of free agents at this point. Do you have anyone in particular that you would think that they would break the bank for? Or is this just going to be a case of it's going to be a while? I think it'll be a while. I don't think they'll never sign another. They they don't seem to like these big blockbuster deals, and I can understand that because they rarely seem to work out very well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there always seems to be something that goes wrong with them. But I could see them doing that. I mean, they went for it with Price and Hayward. So I could see them, when the right player comes around, Brick. You know. Yeah, I'm not even sure if Hayward would have been ahead of what Holiday was just based on like relative to the market. Now, Hayward obviously had the opt-out, so that was a big factor there, but Price certainly would have been. The thing about free agency is it sort of declined over the last several years that whenever Holiday hit the open market, that was just typical of baseball, was that guys would get their service time in and then they would end up hitting free agency. But as it is now, you have, like, Mike Trout, for instance, the best player in baseball. He signed an extension with the Angels, in which he signed for less than market value just for the security of having locked down that contract. So he'll be making sort of, quote-unquote, only $25, $30 million a year rather than taking the risk several years from now of being able to make more. But as far as free agents, I'm just not sure who they would want to really go after. Like Bryce Harper in a couple of years is going to be the big ticket free agent because he appears to be doing sort of the Jason Hayward thing where rather than signing an extension while he's in his arbitration years or under club control in some way, he's going to just go for it. And he's going to bet on himself really to keep improving his stock. And I don't think the Cardinals are going to be players for Bryce Harper. And based off some of the numbers I've heard thrown around, I'm not sure that they should be. But like I don't think they're going to... Well, I don't think they're going to sign Yoan Cespedes anyway, but... Even if they do, I'm not sure that they would be willing to sign him for holiday money. And I don't think there's any other free agent on this in this season who would get that. Like maybe uh, like Encarnacion from Toronto, but I don't think they're really in the market for a first baseman. So I think it'll be several years from now, if at all. And maybe with the new uh, CBA that's being negotiated, things will change and the free agent market will pick up because they would you know, say get rid of the incentives for teams to sign players at well below their market cost, but there's just too many ifs to go with a conclusive answer there, I think. Um, another question we got off of Twitter from Tyler Opinion. He asked, if you got to uh, seat Cardinals players for Thanksgiving dinner, players, um, management, front office staff, who are some players that, who are some people you'd want to sit I guess, who would you want to have sitting together? Who would you want to have sitting as far apart as possible? <laughs> this seemingly would be a very large table. So this seems like your wheelhouse of dealing with um, players and their interpersonal relationships. <laughs> so I'll let you have the first crack at it. I have one combo in my head, but we'll let you go first. 
Well, I don't know if I'm going to list all of them just because I think that that will take the whole podcast. Maybe we'll just dedicate an entire podcast to that you know, next I, time. I need to get a seating chart and a whiteboard. And, not too worried about Dean Keefer, who he's sitting next to. Or yeah, just, yeah. So I, I think like I would probably put maybe Gritchick and Piscotti together because they seem like they're fun. You got to have Wainwright and Molina together because you know they're like. The power, the history, yeah. they're the power couple of the of the team. Maybe put Carson Kelly somewhere near Molina, so you can watch, make sure he does Thanksgiving the right way. Um, maybe let's see who else we got in there. Carlos Martinez and Waka. We'll put them together. Okay, we can do that. But I want Martinez on the other side to have Mazalock, so we can work out an extension. Like, yes, yes. Put those two together. Like they, don't to, they don't have to actually. To do it with a terrible pun, they don't have to actually talk turkey here, but they have to actually warm up to each other and hopefully be in the mood for negotiating once like next Monday hits. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, I would probably you want to put? <laughs> do we want to put Jed Jerko? What was that? Uh, what was that tweet you had about mayonnaise boy? Oh god, we want to put him somewhere <laughs> away I mean, from the mayonnaise. Don't want to. Bring that uh, stigma yeah. out. <laughs> this, is, this is a deep cut talking about my tweets making fun of the New York Daily News for misreporting Jason <laughs> Hayward being jeered, and then my reactionary saying that the Padres fans were yelling mayonnaise boy at Jed Jerko. I'm not sure if that counts as a slur. We may have to edit that, but I guess we have an explicit tag for whatever reason yeah. anyway, so whatever. We'll go with it. But but yeah, so maybe something like that, you know, put Mike Matheny at the kids' table. Oh, wow. Give him some plastic silverware <laughs> so he can't cut himself. I'm oh. so glad you were the one who said that. I feel like this is the kind of thing that I would say and just immediately feel bad and regret it. I but. did for a second, but then I thought that is way too funny. I have to say it. So you're welcome, everyone. We could have him with some of the younger players. You'd have like uh, Delvin Perez or somebody that's like a recent draftee who's... Not quite up to the big kids' table yet. He could just be, you know, working with younger players. I'm sure that's what you meant. Yes, that's exactly what I meant. There was no condescension intended whatsoever. No, I mean, Mike Matheny seems like a great guy. I'm sure he's very nice. Don't have any ill will towards him. You're even saying that in a very condescending way. I don't mean to. (laughs) Okay, so uh, let's move on. Okay. All right, uh, this is from Padre 82 on Twitter. If you were a breakfast cereal, what breakfast cereal would you be? And apparently you have a very distinct and ready answer for this. Lucky Charms. Okay. Uh, <laughs> would you like to explain or would you like to just say Lucky Charms? And... Does it not make sense? I guess it makes sense in the sense of um, you're a very happy-go-lucky person, but... Mm-hmm. And I'm magically delicious. Okay. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Da, 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 da. Yeah, I don't really eat breakfast cereal too much at this point. And the stuff I do eat is kind of boring, like, adult healthy cereal. Like, I eat, like, Kashi cereal and stuff like that. But, I mean, it tastes pretty good, but it's... Shout out to Kashi, you know, if you want to send some cereal our way. Or Lucky Charms, because I eat that almost, like, every other day. Yeah, whenever I was a little kid, I used to eat just the absolute most horrendous possible cereals. Like, I eat, like, uh, Reese's Puffs or, like, Oreo O's. Like, they don't even make Oreo O's anymore. I that's love... probably for the best. Like, oh, those are so good. Like, the cereals I ate were basically just candy that they like condensed into cereals. Crisp. Cookie Crisp, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think me on a healthy kick would be eating, like, Count Chocula or something. <laughs> like, the stuff that just has pure marshmallows inside of it, but that's not quite... Oh, ra- Waffle Crisp, that was another... Oh, no. I liked. Oh, you you were missing out. I'm not sure if that's still around. 
this is people in their 20s discussing cereals for 10 year olds okay cereals for all ages john well considering the boring old person cereal i'm eating yeah i guess so yeah enjoy your raisin bran let's go I, on to the next question i do not eat raisin <laughs> okay granted i eat the kind that's probably the closest to raisin bran but <laughs> it's a different company okay so this was actually sent via email from my sister who has sent um questions in the past a shout out to katie fleming for the question <laughs> uh what is your go-to ballpark food like i'm not really a big ballpark food guy normally like normally i'll try to go to like one of the restaurants near the ballpark first either it's cheaper and or you get larger portions like i got nachos the last time i went to a game and from one of the restaurants nearby it was like nine or ten dollars for a half order of them and i felt very sick afterwards <laughs> so that's uh, one way to go but if i'm actually at the stadium i think popcorn is a good go-to because it's generally cheap and generally takes a while to eat like if i get a pretzel at a game it'll taste good but i'll be done with it within like two minutes i'll just devour it and popcorn or even like peanuts is a good mm -hmm. way to just kill a lot of time while you're eating try to avoid uh drinking anything at games just because it's expensive i don't really drink soda and beer's like ten dollars for a beer so i'm not gonna do that do you, do you have any go-to's or i almost never eat or drink at the games because you have to get out of your seat sit back down you have to like go to the bathroom or whatever in the middle and i hate missing the game so i almost never and it's expensive so i almost never eat or drink anything unless i'm there with like sometimes there are groups of people and there's rain delays or something and we all one time i went there with a group people viva alberto's people there's a huge rain delay and we drank mudslides and stuff while we waited during there like sounds that, very expensive mudslides are actually one of the better deals especially if uh, other people are buying them for you shout out to drew silva <laughs> yeah i would imagine if other if other people are buying for you yeah that would but um normally i don't eat or drink anything at the games but when i do i used to go there with my roommate in college and we would bring in our own peanuts and you can get like a dollar twenty-five soda and bring it in, and we would just do that, and we would just eat peanuts and drink Coke and watch the game, and that'd be about it. Yeah, that's <laughs> a relatively cost-effective way to do it. We have another. Uh, we have a pair of questions from uh, C70, who has asked questions in the past. He writes for um, C70, I think, at the bat and card. Cardinals Conclave? Yeah, it's something like that. I don't remember the exact term. I think it's so Cards Conclave, but he did some really cool stuff, so you guys should check it out. It's very nice, too. All right. Uh, first question was yeah, a more baseball-related question. How long will it be before Mo brings in an outfielder? I mean, probably not this weekend. I, <laughs> I think this is one of those cases where it's going to be like last year, where Jason Hayward signed in December, and then all of the other dominoes began to fall after that. I think that's going to be what happens here is that somebody's going to sign Cespedes or Fowler or Batista, and then once those guys start signing, somebody else will, you know, follow. I think if the Cardinals sign somebody within the next couple of weeks, it would probably be Dexter Fowler. If they wait until January or February, it would probably be somebody on the lower end. But this also might be contingent on, you know, there were rumors circulating from Ken Rosenthal that there could be a lockout. I don't know that that's actually going to happen, but that would obviously put a freeze on any sort of signing. Could even possibly put a freeze on games being played. I tend to think there probably won't be any of that, but if that is the case, everything will be delayed. So, but I think that like eventually an outfielder is going to be signed, right? Like they're not going to go into the season with their current outfield. They're not going to go into the season with 
I mean, who he, who even would be the left fielder at this point? Because Holiday and Moss are both gone. So would you would you go like Grichik and left, and then Fam as the center fielder? Yeah, because Hazel Baker's gone too. So yeah, I mean that would almost have to be it. You basically have three outfielders, so they'll sign somebody. You know, whether they sign somebody who's a big name or just somebody as depth, but unless they're gonna like seriously have Colton Wong in the outfield, which <laughs> hopefully will not be the case. But yeah, I, I think it's gonna be. If I had to just guess a date at random, I'm gonna hedge all my bets and consider for the possibility of a lockout. Consider for the possibility that they wait a while and say January seventh. My answer is January seventh. They will sign a. Which I think January 7th is a Saturday, so that's probably not a good guess, but whatever. I'm going to go with it. I'm going to go with January 21st. That's my birthday, and it seems like a good day to sign an outfielder. Yeah, happy birthday to Heather on January 21st. That's right. Now you all know, so you have to wish me happy birthday. Yeah, my birthday is four days after yours. I feel like we should have like a special like birthday, birthday theme. podcast? <gasps> this is a terrible idea for you everybody have, but us. Like, have the noisemakers and stuff going off? Oh, that Great. Everybody buys us gifts and we unwrap them on the podcast. Yes. We <laughs> should do that. Yeah, feel free to send us send things. Send us gifts. This, okay. This is just a good general rule of thumb. Send us gifts, not just for uh not just for our birthday, just in general as oh, yeah, gratitude. But we had another question from C seventy, which is one that has absolutely nothing to do with baseball, but yes, favorite personal Thanksgiving tradition. I think he said holiday, but I'm guessing Thanksgiving just based on proximity of when it was sent. <laughs> do you have any uh specific like as we've mentioned before, there is a, a cultural gap here where you come from much more rural settings than I do, so okay. <laughs> that may affect it a little bit. Well, we don't go off and like shoot guns into the air on Thanksgiving, if that's what you're implying. But that's or, not at all what I was implying. Or the no. like the the Thanksgiving hunt doesn't happen either. But <laughs> um, we we usually just eat food at my grandma's, and then um, my parents are divorced, so we my uh, brother and sister and I go up to my other. Uh, grandparents and eat food there and then there we usually drink watch football and play hours and hours of pinochle <laughs> not double deck because that is uh that is an abomination guys you are so old i know <laughs> okay <laughs> that's what we do yeah my thanksgivings are always pretty understated like I, I go to my parents house my parents live like 10 15 minutes away from me so it's not a like i'm traveling across the state or anything eat, watch football. I haven't really been following football that much this year, so I might have to, like, all of a sudden get all into it. All the games it. are really good this Thanksgiving. They are all good. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Well, <laughs> they are. I'm sure I'll watch more football tomorrow on Thanksgiving for people who are listening to this at a later point than I have all season, but that's just a thing to do. But I don't really have it. But those are fairly common traditions, though. And I was trying to think about this. Do I have anything that's really unique I think my most frequent tradition is making fun of whoever the performer is at like the halftime shows for the football games because for some reason I take it very personally whenever there's somebody I don't like performing at it. <laughs> so I spend the entire time just mocking them and just being a jerk about it. I'm actually going to look up right now to see who's performing at the halftime shows because it's usually somebody like fairly famous but also not famous enough that I can still make fun of them without people getting too mad at me. It not like if I start making fun of Beyonce. I was and, just going to say, if it's Beyonce, you can't do it. Which I do sometimes mostly just to, to troll, but mm, let's see here. Thanksgiving halftime show. Uh, Eric Church is performing the Cowboys halftime show. I don't see anything for the the Lions one, but yeah, I'm, I'm I, I can get up for just trolling Eric Church. I don't really have a a strong opinion on him either way, but 
I'll, I'll go negative, sure. That'll work. Okay. So hopefully people who uh, follow me on Twitter can see me just totally ragging on somebody I don't actually care about too much. Hopefully next podcast there'll be some new developments for the Cardinals to discuss, but if not, we can always just take questions and talk about um, whatever we just talked about. I don't know. Whatever. It's good. (laughs) All right. Well, um, thank you once again to everybody listening. Thank you to those who asked questions. Thank you, Heather, for once again being the co-host of this little uh, adventure we call the Viva Alberto's podcast. Uh, Certainly happy Thanksgiving to you. Happy Thanksgiving to all of our listeners, except for two of you. I'm not going to mention any names, but to the two of you. I do not wish you a happy Thanksgiving. Everybody else, though, (laughs) I hope everybody's doing well. Uh, Do you want to uh, plug anything? Sure. Uh, You can follow me on Twitter, L-I-L underscore Scooter 93. You can read what I write on Viva Alberto's Monday through Friday at 12 p.m. All right. Sounds good. Um, You can follow me on Twitter at JohnJF125. Read my writing at Viva Alberto's on Wednesdays and Fridays especially. I also have the news and notes on Mondays and Saturdays. You can follow Viva Albertos on Twitter at Viva Albertos. You can follow it on Facebook, Viva El, or what am I doing? Facebook.com slash Viva Albertos. You can subscribe to the podcast. I know you can do it on iTunes. I had somebody ask me earlier this week if you can if you can listen to it on SoundCloud, so I just said I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> I, I, I'm very bad at the technological aspects of it, but if you search Viva Alberto's podcast, it should come up regardless. And if it's not on there, then we probably just don't have the podcast on there. But you can listen to it through the website. You can listen to it through iTunes, download episodes, share it with all your friends and family. I presume a lot of people will be listening to this podcast during their Thanksgiving dinners. Very <laughs> appreciative of that. Very humbling to know that we're a part of your Thanksgiving tradition. And if we're not, we certainly should be. <laughs> all right. Yeah, but that's all I have to say, and anything else? Nope. All right, well, uh, (laughs) thank you to everybody for listening, and hope everybody has a wonderful and happy Thanksgiving.